Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, John chapter 16. That's where we're going to begin today. Uh, we, last week, we began a new series um, on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And um, last week was just basically an introduction where we laid a foundation for our series talking about um, who the Holy Spirit is and how he ministers in and through our lives as children of God living in the new covenant. Um, I wish we had time to, to do a full review of what we talked about last week, um, but if you missed last week, I encourage you to get online and, and listen to that. Um, but today we're going to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit or the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised his disciples on, in John chapter 16 and chapter 14, which was during the Last Supper just before he was arrested, and what we saw um, manifest the promise fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And then we're going to talk about how all that applies to us. So I want to begin today by reading, a, um, reading something that Jesus said to his disciples on his last night with them before he was arrested and crucified. John 16, verse 5. He says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I have told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, the New Living Translation here uses the term advocate to describe the Holy Spirit's relationship with us. But different versions use different words, such as helper or counselor or uh, encourager or comforter all of which are names that, that describe the Holy Spirit's ministry to us as believers. And we said last week that these are all terms that are attributed to a person, not a thing, right? We made the point last week to say that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He is not some indistinct force or power. He is a person. He is a person of the Godhead. And, and he is equal with God. God and Jesus and the, and the Father are, are equal they're in perfect unity, and because of that, the Holy Spirit is God, just as Jesus is God, and that means they are t- that he is eternal and he is holy, right? So we talked all about that last week. But I want to ask this question. Why do you think it was better for Jesus to go so that the Holy Spirit could come? Because if Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God, then clearly neither one of them are better than the other, Right? And we know the disciples didn't want Jesus to go. Every time he brought it up, they, they fought him and resisted the whole idea of him leaving them. Um, I mean, they might even argue that it was better for Jesus to stay because they could touch him and see him with their eyes and, and hear him with their ears, right? They could engage him with their senses. But so, so why was it better for Jesus to go? Well, obviously, I can think of a logistical reason, right? I mean, since Jesus came to dwell among us as a man, he had subjected himself to the limitations of time and space, right? So he could only minister to so many people in a day. Um, The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is not limited to time and space. He can be everywhere, ministering in and through everyone at the exact same time, right? But even more important than just the logistics... The Holy Spirit had a specific role 
in, in God's plan of instituting the new covenant. Okay? The initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the inception of the new covenant rebirth. Okay, think about that. I want to say that again. The, the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the inception of the new covenant rebirth. And the reason we know this is because of what Jesus told us in John chapter 3. One day, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus came and started talking to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And, and some people confuse that born of water part with water baptism, but that's not what he's talking about, and he gives clarity in the next verse. Humans can re- reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Jesus is really clear here that it is only the Holy Spirit that can give birth to spiritual life or what he calls being born again. But have you ever noticed that no one got born again in John chapter 3? I mean, you would think that when Jesus said, no one can see the enter the kingdom of God without being born again, you would think after him saying that, they'd been lining up to get born again, right? But no, nobody got born again in that chapter, not even in the whole gospel. It's because it wasn't time for that yet. And the reason we know that is because of what Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has died. He's risen. He is now um, uh, meeting with or appearing to his disciples for like over a period of 40 days before he ascends. Right? So we pick up in Acts chapter or 1, yeah, Acts 1 verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Referring to what he said in in John 16. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit spirit he's telling them that they're going to they're about to be born again that they're going to experience the holy spirit giving birth to their spiritual life the apostle paul explains it this way in his first letter to the corinthians some of us are jews some are gentiles some are slaves some are free but we have all been baptized in, into one body by the spirit and we all share the same spirit. So what this means for for them and for us is that God's people would be identified by a spiritual birth rather than a natural birth. In the new covenant, God's people would be identified by a spiritual birth rather than a natural one. Remember in the old covenant, God's people were identified by a natural birth, right? You had to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be part of God's people. Um, there were 
a few rare exceptions to this um, because there was a um, provision in the law for a foreigner to become an Israelite. Um, it wasn't really easy, though, because if you were a guy, you had to get circumcised, and then you had to obey the law. So I'm sure there wasn't you know, a high demand for people, foreigners, becoming Israelites. Um, but under the new covenant... Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law for everyone. For everyone who places their faith in him, Jesus fulfilled the the requirements of the law, regardless of their genealogy, right? And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us birth into God's family. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. It is God who enables us along with you, to stand firm for him, for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. This is what has happened to the 120 believers in Acts chapter 2. Right? The, one of the first things that take place, the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the inception of of the new covenant rebirth. You don't see anybody getting born again in the Gospels. And Jesus made it clear it was only by the Spirit, only the Spirit can give birth to Spirit. Right? They were the first ones who were spiritually reborn into God's family. And as Jesus said, it's only the Holy Spirit that can give someone birth into, can can a person be spiritually born. And that's why it was better for Jesus to go and the Holy Spirit to come so that the new covenant could, could be born, right? So the second thing that took place at the coming of the Holy Spirit is that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So everyone present at this moment is filled with, with the Holy Spirit. But then, a few days later, uh, Peter and John go to the temple, and um, they run into this guy who's, who's lame from birth, and God uses them to heal the guy, and at that point, they preach the gospel of Jesus at the temple. Well, this causes a huge commotion, and um, the religious leaders wanted to sort of gain control of this commotion, so they had Peter and John arrested. It was late in the day, so they had to spend the night and um, the next morning, they appeared before the high priest and the, um, the ruling council of the religious leaders. And they warned them to never, ever speak the name of Jesus again. Right? They, they wanted to silence this. They wanted to squash it. They said, never speak the name of Jesus again. But they didn't have anything to really hold them to keep them in jail, so they, they let him go. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. Which says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers 
and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry, and why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here for in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice what it says next. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, wait a minute. Why were they filled with the Holy Spirit here when they had already been filled with the Holy Spirit back in chapter 2? Right? Doesn't it only, don't you only need to be filled once? Um, I mean, did the first one not take? Did, did, did they use up the first infilling? Did they, did, or, you know, did the first infilling kind of leak out of them? Honestly, I think trying to answer that why question just leads to a bunch of speculation. But what is important for us to understand is that as believers, we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. As believers, we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. See, not only do we see them filled once in Acts chapter 2, and then again in Acts chapter 4, and then, but we see them all throughout the book of Acts, they're filled multiple times, over and over and over again. And then the Apostle Paul tells us this. In Ephesians 5, 18, he says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you study the original Greek text that was in which this was written, you discover that the, that the verb that is translated be filled is in perfect tense. And we don't have perfect tense in our English language. We have you know, past, present, and future tense for our verbs which is why the perfect tense doesn't, in the Greek doesn't really translate in our, in our language, right? But in the Greek language, the perfect tense is used here, and it indicates an ongoing result, right? And so the literal translation of this sentence would be, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't make any sense in our language, right? Because our language doesn't support the perfect tense. The idea here is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit every day and as many times a day as needed. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to an ongoing result. Okay. What Paul is teaching us here in Ephesians 5 is that we can choose to be filled with whatever we want. Right? We can be, choose to be filled with, with whatever we choose to be filled with. And he uses alcohol 
as a contrasting example of being filled, as a contrast of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but being filled with alcohol every day does what? It ruins your life, right? Um, And there's all kinds of things, right, that we can use to fill our lives with that at worst can ruin our lives and at best produce fruit that we might not want to produce, right? Things, Things that we can fill our life with in this world. But the best kind of fruit comes from where? Holy Spirit, right? Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Again, it's your choice on what you're going to choose to fill yourself up with. But the best thing that you can be filled with is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the inception of spiritual rebirth, which continued on to everyone after that first initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who places their trust in Jesus has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We talked about that last week and looked at several scriptures. It was also the first time that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, which is something that needs to take place continually in our lives, right? We need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised that the coming of the Holy Spirit would empower his followers to be witnesses of Christ. Jesus promised that the coming of the Holy Spirit would empower his followers to be witnesses of Christ. Acts 1.8, he says this, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the very first evidence of this was Peter. Remember on that initial outpouring, the the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place on the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost is actually the Greek name for the Jewish term Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks was a festival that took place exactly 50 days after the Passover. Okay, And that's where Pentecost comes in. Penta means 50. Okay, um, So on this day, there are Jews who have traveled from all over the place, from all over the surrounding nations to come and be a part of this festival. And the Holy Spirit fills these twelve or these 120 believers and they start speaking in other languages that they have never learned before. Well, all the people who had traveled to that area, they recognize the language from their home country, right? And they're amazed that these Jewish, that these Jerusalem Jews are able to speak their languages. And it's at this point that Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people placed their trust in Jesus that day. I wish we had time to read that whole message, um, but I encourage you to go to read that in Acts chapter 2. But wait a minute. Who did that? Peter? I mean, isn't Peter the guy who not many days before when a a young girl asked him if he was one of the followers of Jesus. He cowered in fear and even denied even knowing Jesus. I mean, how is it that he 
was able to get up and preach one of the most powerful sermons that's ever been recorded. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. What this means for us is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to boldly proclaim the gospel. That's what Jesus has commissioned us to do, is to go and proclaim the gospel. But we don't have to do it in our own strength. We have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to boldly proclaim the gospel. All it takes is stepping out in obedience. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to do his job and empower you to preach the gospel with boldness. Okay? And if the Holy Spirit can empower Peter, I promise you he can empower you. Okay? You might not have been you might not have denied Jesus that night, but he did. If he can empower Peter, he can empower you. All right? The last thing we see happen at the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that spiritual gifts were given to all the believers by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now remember the setting. There were people from many different countries there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, right? Or what the Greeks called the, the Day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, these Jerusalem Jews start speaking the native languages of all these foreigners. And that opened the door for Peter to boldly proclaim the gospel. And 3,000 people got saved. But how did that happen? Right? How were these people able to speak in unknown languages? It's because the Holy Spirit decided to give these people this spiritual gift of being able to speak in an unknown language. And we know this because of what Scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 7, says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. And he alone decides which gift each person should have. What this means for you is that the Holy Spirit has given you spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit has come to live inside you, the Holy Spirit has given you gifts. And you might not even know what they are. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And verse 11 makes clear that it is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. And he alone decides which gift each person should have. Um, we asked this, this question last, these questions last week, we're going to ask again. How many of you know what your spiritual gift 
gift is. Okay, how many of you don't know or maybe forgot? Okay, several. How many would be interested in a uh, spiritual gift assessment in the coming weeks and learn what your spiritual gifts are? Okay, good, several. Awesome. So um, we're planning to do that on April 23rd. We didn't put it in the bulletin yet, but mark your calendar for April 23rd. That's the Sunday after Easter and the Sunday before we have the church picnic. So April 23rd, we're going to do a spiritual gift assessment, all right? So, but we'll get that information out to you. Um, so if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit ha- that that the Holy Spirit has spiritually birthed you into God's family, right? Um, Jesus said it's only the Spirit that gives birth to Spirit, and and it's what Jesus called being born again. It's at that moment that Scripture also tells us that the Spirit comes to live inside you, or what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and everyone who is a believer has this, um, and and it's also described as the first installment of everything that God has promised to give us. We also know that you can be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, which uh, is the best thing to be filled with because he doesn't ruin your life like other things we can fill ourselves up with, right? Instead, he bears good fruit in us, love, joy, peace, and not just the kind of love and joy and peace that the world gives, right? Unconditional love, joy like a river, peace that passes understanding, I mean, Really good stuff, right? Um, the Holy Spirit also empowers you to fulfill the Great Commission to bo- and to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ. And he equips you with spiritual gifts so that we can help each other and build up the church. Now, I don't know what your experience with the Holy Spirit has been. But I really want to encourage you. To not take the Holy Spirit for granted. Don't take the Holy Spirit for granted. And don't don't neglect what he's given us. I mean, when you think about what we have compared to the people of the Old Testament. I mean, I think of Joel, who was a prophet who who, who prophesied that this day would come. That God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And they didn't have that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the spirit was very selective and it was very task-oriented on how he... He filled someone for their a specific task, right? Like a king or, or a prophet or something like that. But everyone who places their trust in Jesus has the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome. And we, I don't think we should be, I think we should be really careful not to neglect what we have and not to take it for granted. Instead, be a good steward of all that he's made available to you. Be a good steward of all he's made available to you. Maybe your experience is that you've just believed Jesus and you never really had an experience with the Holy Spirit, right? Like you, like if you were to look back on your spiritual life and you know that you placed your trust in Jesus, so you know that the, the Holy Spirit was deposited in you, he lives in you, as the first installment of all that God has promised you based on what God's word says. But if you look back, you probably don't, you probably can't remember or know that you never had a time where you were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Like what happened in Acts chapter 2. Maybe you never had an opportunity for someone to say or gave you the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
right? So that, so that from that point, you can continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to read a passage of scripture from Acts 19 um, that shows how this, can, this, how this can sort of happen. Uh, Acts 19, verse 1 says, while, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Okay, now, these are believers, right? Paul has encountered several believers. If these people are believers, has the Spirit come to live inside of them? Yes, because Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, and now you Gentiles have... And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So all it takes is believing in Jesus and God gives you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside you, the indwelling, right? Um, But... It's clearly different. The indwelling is clearly different from being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is another thing. This is what took... Both of those things took place in Acts chapter 2, right? They, were, they had the indwelling for the very first time to their birth into spiritual life, and they were filled, right? Um, so the story goes on in Acts 19, verse 2. Paul encounters these believers, and he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus when Paul laid his hands on, him, on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were, all, there were about 12 men in all. So maybe that you had a similar experience. Maybe you believed in Jesus, but you never had the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but now that you know about the Holy Spirit, maybe now you want to be, have that experience, right? Maybe you want to get that in filling so that you can continue to be filled as Paul describes in, Acts, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. What we know from what Jesus told us in Luke 11 is that God wants you to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? This is not for a select few. This is for everyone who simply asks. Listen to what Jesus said in in Luke 11. He says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All it takes is asking. All you got to do is ask for it. And God gives you the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me address a couple things. 
I've lived through a lot of weirdness, okay? I got saved in the charismatic movement, so I lived through a lot of weirdness. And there's, there's an argument on two sides. There's two extreme arguments on this about this, right? Uh, one side of the argument says the Holy Spirit was for the first century, doesn't really apply to us. Tongues is for the first century, no. Then there's the other extreme side of the argument that says, well, the only proof that you've got the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. But that's not true either, because we just read that when these guys in Ephesus got filled with the Holy Spirit, some of them spoke in tongues, but others prophesied, which is a spiritual gift as well, right? Okay? So, it's not... The truth of the matter is, if you just ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit... God gives you the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I, I got saved in a church that taught the second extreme that you had to speak in tongues to, as proof that you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And one day, I answered the altar call to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with a whole bunch of other people, and they put us all in a room, and they would not let us leave until we spoke the Holy, or prayed in tongues or spoke in tongues, right? And it just wasn't coming for me. So I faked it. Just so I could get out of there, right? But about a year later, I had been praying and seeking God for this gift. And Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 4 that we can do that, that we can earnestly desire the greater gifts. And he talks, he, he talks all about the difference between prophecy and, and speaking in tongues and, and that we should desire them, right? And I had been praying for the, the gift of the Holy or being able to speak in tongues and... and just, I mean, out of the blue, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was working graveyard shift at my job. I was working at a 24-hour auto parts store, and I was fronting and facing all the chemicals on the shelf. And just out of the blue, God deposited this gift in me, and I was able to, to speak in tongues. And, and the, um, you know, Jude, the book of Jude talks about how this gift, of, this gift can be used to pray things that we don't understand or know how to pray for plus it builds us up like when we're just heavy laden or depressed and we have no reason why you can just pray in tongues and be lifted up on the inside and it's amazing it's it's awesome but i I just want to say all that to not for you not to be under any pressure to speak in tongues okay it's not he gives you gifts and maybe you'll get the, the gift of speaking in tongue. Maybe you won't. But I want to invite you, if you haven't been ever filled with the Holy Spirit, and you want to be, I want you to, 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 to do that today. The other thing I want, I want to also speak to people who, um, who have sort of neglected the Holy Spirit in you, okay? Like, like if you... Like say for a, let's say a long time ago, you you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you had this experience and it was awesome. But if you look back over the last however long, you know you've neglected it and you haven't. You can't even remember the last time you asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit again, right? And and Paul tells us in Ephesians to be continually filled, and we see it happen all throughout the books of Acts that, that over and over and over again they were filled, and so. That's how we should live our life. Every, before, we should leave in the, before we even leave the house or have conversations with people or share the gospel, I mean, every time before I preach, I pray that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm depending on Him. 
to bear fruit in my life and not me, right? So for those of you who have, who have neglected the, Spirit, the, 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 the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to be filled afresh today. And, and, and for those of you who, um, you know, who've completely neglected that he empowers you to proclaim the gospel, for you as well. I mean, I really want you guys to take full advantage of everything the Spirit has to offer. Not neglect, but, but take full advantage of all that he has to offer. Being empowered to preach the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having those gifts and operating in them, and it all comes through him. All right? So I want to ask the band to, to come on back up, um, and they're going to just sort of lead in worship. But I want to ask you guys, um, if you are... If you want to be filled today, just be bold, okay? If you want to be filled today, just raise your hand right where you're at. I see those hands. I see those hands. All right. Now, I want to ask you to take one other step for me, okay? We just read in Acts 19 that when Paul laid his hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, is that required? No. But, let's, but I, want to, I want us to do that, okay? I want us to just sort of follow what Scripture teaches. And I want this to be a moment, a profound moment in your life, okay? One that you can look back on and say, yes, I was filled with the Spirit that day. And from this day forward, I can continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come on up here. We're just going to pray for you. and.